This is Lisa Peterson with CalPACT, the California Pacific Public Health Training Center located in the Center for Public Health Practice at UC Berkeley School of Public Health. CalPACT is funded by a grant from the federal government to increase the capacity and size of the public health workforce in Northern and Central California, Hawaii, and the associated Pacific Islands. Our program focuses on leadership development, cultural competency, and the use of new media to provide public health services. Today, in our podcast series about innovations in health promotion and healthcare access, we'll take you on a journey into the cutting edge work being done by public health and healthcare professionals. And we're very excited to have Sarah Fine with us from UC San Francisco's Center for Vulnerable Populations at San Francisco General Hospital. Hello, Sarah, how are you? I'm well, thank you, how are you? Great. Good. Well, thank you for joining us today. We're very interested in learning about the work you do here at the center in the areas of improving health access and health literacy. But before we do that, maybe we could take a little bit and you could share with us a bit about your background and how you came to be in the position now you hold as project director. Mm -hmm. Well, I I first started becoming um, really interested in health education because my father was a physician. He is a physician. Um, He worked here at General for 40 years, and I grew up rollerblading the hallways of General Hospital. Um, And that's where I really became aware and engaged and passionate about health education, health access, and especially really um, remedying the health education system to limit discrimination between different populations and to make health education access more egalitarian. So in my high school years, I volunteered as a public health worker in both Nicaragua and in Bolivia. I had really fantastic development experiences there where I learned all kinds of work about community engagement, working with various local actors, the importance of partnering with community organizations that have strong roots in the communities where they're really making change happen and having a lasting impact. And that was where my involvement kind of got going. From then on, I also worked in 2003 as a UCSF research associate. I was working on a project called IDEAL. That means that stands for Investigating Diabetes Efforts Across Language and Literacy. And on that project, we really tried to find alternative healthcare measures and care options for diabetic patients with limited literacy capacity. Often maybe they were non-native English speakers or they had certain educational levels that impeded their ability to properly care for themselves. So it was just ways of finding these alternative treatments. And I just really became passionate about public health and about the importance of the role of education in public health and the role of prevention in public health. After working at UCSF, I was studied abroad and I also spent about six years living in Argentina um, working for a, a community action education organization. And that was also with vulnerable populations with low-income populations and youth. And this really kind of brought to light the amazing impact and amazing difference that youth can make in the community, that they are the future, that without youth participation and youth action, a lot of the problems that we see that we're living with day in and day out will probably just continue. But with youth involvement, they can actually continue into the future and really improve certain situations that are going on now in public health care and in education in general. And Sarah, that's really interesting about the diverse experience you've had in working with youth and seeing the value of that. Was there a particular experience over the course of those different things that you were doing that really sparked that realization, the importance of working with them? 
I think that it's more so the importance of working with the community at large, and I mean specifically youth because they do have such diverse passions and can be so engaged. And also they have their ideals are a little bit more in place. I think they're a little bit more idealistic and optimistic about the future, I think, than some adults that can get a little bit more jaded over time. I wouldn't say there was a specific incident that sparked my interest in working with youth, but just through different activities with different partner organizations and seeing how the community roots and how those kinds of partnerships and collaborative efforts can be so productive and can really make such a significant difference than if, I mean, the difference between UCSF going into a community and saying we want to do this and that versus UCSF going into a community and asking the community what their needs are and working collaboratively to find joint solutions and interventions that are seen as equally productive by both actors and by both people that are involved. I think that that's what actually is the most effective down the line. Well, I think this is a really good segue for us to learn then what you're currently working on in working with youth here at the Center for Vulnerable Populations. So right now I'm working as the project director for a health literacy project. It's a health literacy partnership between UCSF and a community organization called Youth Speaks. Um, Youth Speaks is a fantastic organization that really believes that the youth voice is the voice of the future and that is the voice of change. So Youth Speaks and UCSF, uh, we're partnering together for a health literacy partnership to work on a diabetes, type 2 diabetes prevention campaign. And this campaign is called the Bigger Picture Campaign, and it includes various program components. First of all, it includes a series of workshops where UCSF, Youth Speaks staff, and peer educators, as well as really seasoned and wonderfully creative youth poets, mostly minority youth poets, participate in a series of workshops where they just get an introduction into diabetes, the social determinants of diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and get angry and learn about different action steps that they can take. They learn about food marketing. And throughout this series of workshops, they compile different drafts for spoken word poems. These drafts are now going to be filmed and produced into public service announcements that will be very disseminated virally over a specific dedicated website that Youth Speaks is going to have. There'll be lots of associated messaging with these public service announcements. For example, there will be a toolkit that these youth students and students will be able to use as a resource to equip them and empower them to become agents of change in their communities, in their homes, in their families. And the, the pieces that are going to be used in these public service announcements are going to be performed in local high schools, in San Francisco high schools, as well as Oakland and perhaps Richmond high schools. But now Youth Speaks has this fantastic model where they perform in assemblies and they really get kids engaged and participants in change and in different action campaigns through this creative outlet, which is a really unique method for sparking interest in youth. So perform these different diabetes pieces at assemblies, and then these will also be broken down into smaller workshop classes. And in order to really you know, maximize impact and engage students, teachers, parents, education administrators, there's also gonna be an associated toolkit that they'll have access to in both hard copy and digital form that they can then use to really carry out action campaigns on a local level and really get as involved as they can with that information. Once they become a little bit more informed, they can actually engage in different outreach campaigns in their communities. And one incentive for this is that there's going to be an online competition. And this online competition is going to be housed on a dedicated Bigger Picture Campaign Youth Speaks website. This online competition is going to really invite all students, anyone that has an idea of how to get a farmer's market in their neighborhood or change the their school cafeteria lunch, find a safer, you know, try to build a safer playground in their neighborhood so they have safe spaces to practice healthy lifestyle and wellness. And the idea is to provide educational scholarships for three winners 
of this of this contest. It can be in poetry form, narrative, videos about what you've done. It can be a group. And the idea is to really give them a channel for participating and for not only expressing themselves creatively, but also becoming involved as advocates of change and what they want to see change where they live and in their environments and try to change their environments and as a result, hopefully impede the spread of type 2 diabetes in these neighborhoods that are disproportionately affected, especially when you're referring to low-income neighborhoods. And Sarah, I really like that term that you use, agents of change. And when we think about doing projects that use innovative methods to, to facilitate people within the community taking ownership of, of doing some of these solutions to some of our public health issues and becoming those agents of change for positive things going on. Has, have you seen the youth, I think they had done some PSAs already, mm -hmm. and have you seen the impact of being able to become these kind of empowered making change happen I think agents? We haven't done any specific um, measurements technically, but in terms of what I've seen just on a qualitative level, I'm amazed at the level how incited they've become by what they've learned. And many of these students and these, these young, actually not students, these youth poets, maybe weren't aware and they've been really personally affected by diabetes. It's amazing to me how many of them have a sister or a family member or even might be pre-diabetic themselves. And they come to the me, they've come, come to these workshops and they say, oh, I thought about you all weekend when I went grocery shopping or, oh, I, I, was, gonna, you know, I was going to the store and I thought I can't bring a bottle of Coke to my diabetes workshop, this is inappropriate or... Right, right. <laughs> just even that those kinds of thoughts are going through their mind, I like that there's that consciousness. I like that there's already an increased awareness and just interest in creating the dialogue. And just that these conversations are happening, that they are becoming part of a conversation about such an extraordinary health epidemic, such as type 2 diabetes, that is so preventable in so many cases. And I love that they're talking to their friends about it, that they're talking to their family members about it. And just even that the word is spreading, I think that in and of itself is very powerful. And what do you think about, I mean, when you talk about spread and, and sharing and, and really building and sustaining a conversation, this aspect of using new tools mm -hmm. like uh, the video, the online contest, and being able to have the website and maybe using social media in order to really spread that word and really generate conversations, new relationships, network and connection around a shared interest and something that's important and people are passionate about. What are your thoughts about the importance of using those kinds of tools? I think it's essential because I believe that with the utilization of those tools, you have access to a much greater, your reach is just expanded exponentially. and. We would love for this message to reach statewide levels, even national levels, if possible, even international levels. And that is, with globalization, that's possible through these tools, through, you know, social media, online, websites. And I think that also it's a question of inclusion. And I think that it's really fundamental to not exclude people based on location or geography or neighborhood and maybe there's some schools that we won't be able to get to you know we only have resources to go to a limited number of schools and perform that and if other students can have access to this message and if it can help make a difference in their lives and their families lives and their school lives and their community at large then i'm all for the use of any kind of alternative tools that can help facilitate that process and i believe that online digital media is the way to go and 
youth are youth, youth are involved in these tools. Youth are on Facebook all the time. You want to make a difference, you have to go where the people you want to affect and benefit are and use the same channels that they're using. Great. And I mean, in, in thinking about that, related to that, maybe you could take a moment and reflect and share with us any kind of practical steps you've taken or skills you've developed that have helped you to achieve positive results with the project so far that it would really help our listeners to learn about that? I think it's really important to be flexible and to not have a very set in stone idea of how a certain project should be carried out from A to Z. I think that part of the beauty of these projects is watching how different people that are participating face certain challenges, confront changes, deal with, different elements that maybe were unexpected to begin with. And I believe that it's easy to think of what your ideal project would be and how that would be carried out, but then how effective is it gonna be really be if you don't have that outside participation, if other people aren't as actively involved as you are? Because you can have your ideas of what you think is gonna be successful, but the fact is you're, in, you're working with other people and what's success to them may not be what success is to you. And I think that that whole idea of timelines, how projects need to be completed, when they need to be completed, being reasonable about your expectations for others. Also, working in a partnership, it's very important not to impose your your manpower requests on other people or your understanding of, of what they're capable of because each organization and each individual has different strengths and capabilities. And I think that in order to be effective in public health, especially when you need to work with so many community partnerships, you have to really recognize what those strengths are and work together and develop and determine how to proceed collectively and not in a singular way. And ultimately feel that that helps aid you achieving your goals and outcome and sustaining the efforts that you've begun. Absolutely. I mean, I think that if I just wanted to go on a one-woman march towards change in diabetes prevention, I don't think I'd get very far. I think that the reason why this project has taken off as it has, why it's sparked so much interest from other people is because of the involvement of Youth Speaks, and their role is so pivotal to this program's success, the relationship with the community, the relationship with schools, the relationship with youth poets and mentors. That kind of community links and bonds that they have, they're the experts in that. So I think that what's really important is letting, recognizing other people's expertise and letting them do that. And we have expertise in other fields, and that's what we're gonna contribute. And everyone should really contribute what they're most equipped to contribute with these types of projects. Well, I just hear a lot of passion for what you do and a lot of like sparks going on for you, connected to your background, places you've already been and where you're going. Do you want to share a little bit more about your passion, what that is, why you're passionate about it in terms of your work? I think it's really hard to find something that you do that you really love. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. And I'm a firm believer that with when you're doing something that you love, you're going to be much better at the work you're doing. And I also think that it's crucial not to check your morals at the door when you're going into the office, when you're wherever that office is, if it's outside, if it's a school, if it's a hospital. And that's just something that I've really tried to live by, is really pursuing projects that maybe they're not the most, maybe they don't pay the most, maybe the hours are longer. Who knows, maybe there's more challenging working conditions in terms of what resources they have, the places I'm at have, but I find those projects to still be the most rewarding and they make me want to get out of bed in the morning. I 
feel like sometimes when I was participating in these workshops at Youth Speaks, I would have been there as a volunteer and still loved it and still been happy and still wanted to contribute everything I could. And I feel really fortunate that I'm able to find a career that's that fulfilling in the healthcare education profession. I like what you said about not checking your morals at the door. I've got to come with you. <laughs> You're going to come right in with them. Absolutely. It seems quite timely, I think, for for where we're at right now mm-hmm. in terms of, of really being able to make a difference mm-hmm. and to carry that with you. And I think it's really important. Though, I mean, at least for me, I'm going to enjoy myself much more thoroughly if I feel that I'm making a contribution. And that's always been kind of a way that I've the way that I've guided my career. And kind of related to this, maybe you can put yourself in a position where you have all the resources you need. Mm -hmm. And if there was one thing that you could do to improve the public's health, to create this fantastic positive social change, and you could make it happen, what would that be? Just in the United States? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, you could be anywhere. Oh gosh, how much time do we have? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think first and foremost, I think that it's been a huge step in the right direction to have more access to healthcare in general, the local, national level. I believe that it could go even further and that there should be a public option. I think that healthcare and health insurance should not discriminate based on whether someone's employed, whether someone's unemployed, whether someone is literate, whether someone speaks English, whether someone does not speak English, whether someone is an illegal immigrant or not. I think that it is inhumane to have healthcare limited by financial possibilities. So that's something that I would change on its face right off the bat if I had the resources to do so. And kind of going piggybacking on that and by the same token, I believe that the injustices and the disparities in healthcare access and healthcare quality based on so many of the factors, so many social factors, that that should be illuminated if possible. If, there, if I had all the resources, I would make healthcare equally accessible and equally holistic in terms of the care provided for everyone. Every human on the planet would have fantastic healthcare and have access to the same quality healthcare. And Sarah, maybe you could share with us, who do you think is doing the right kind of work right now in public health or in healthcare to create positive social change like that? I think it's really difficult to identify individual organizations that are making a significant difference. I think that one thing to be considered is that often people think hospitals are or nonprofits are, um, but it really runs the gamut of international aid organizations that are making a huge difference not only in healthcare, but also in public health and public health policy, prevention, different actors from the civil sector, even, even for-profit com- corporations. We have this whole trend of social entrepreneurship where instead of just going for a straight out profit, companies also want to make an impact. They want to make a social impact and make a difference and um, give consumers the option of making a smarter choice in terms of what they're going to support support with their wallet and with their earnings, with their hard-earned earnings. And I believe that that's something really positive. In terms of, I mean, honestly, I can't really think of specific examples, but I think that there's so much great work going on, and I think it's only getting stronger and that people are only learning more and more about the importance of it. And I love that, as of late, the greater population at large, even people that don't work as healthcare professionals, are, are, in, are taking an interest and are seeing how healthcare interventions can affect everyone's quality of life for the better. Even when you just think of, you know, basic healthcare costs, I mean, this is something that can affect your taxes, it can affect so many things about your daily life. 
And what does leadership mean to you? I think I would have to think of who have been pivotal mentors and leaders in my life. And some exemplary characteristics of those people have been patience, flexibility, being good, being a good listener, knowing when to take a second. I think knowing when to take a secondary role as a leader is a phenomenal talent. I don't think it's always the person that's most active in a conversation. I think it can often be someone who is very thoughtful and takes a step back and really takes time to oversee the the greater picture, the bigger picture. And I also believe that someone with strong leadership skills is a problem solver and is a go-getter and tries to think really critically about what the best solution is, not for him, not just for him or her, but for everyone that's involved in a project as a whole. And I think that collective understanding and that care for others and that empathy for others and understanding of others makes a good leader because for the most part, good leaders, they really are just really good people and they do extraordinary things. And they're, they're ordinary people like you and I, but they are really committed to being powerful and they have a lot of passion for what they do. And I believe that that's, any wonderful leader is going to be passionate what they do and they're gonna do whatever they can to involve other people in a non-bullying way. I, I like those words, extraordinary, passionate, and brings to mind what you're doing with the Youth Speaks project and building the leadership of these youth within their communities, amongst themselves, with their peers. Can you comment a little bit on that? I mean, they're already leaders in and of themselves. I think I'm learning a lot from them. I think that them becoming peer educators and them being willing to teach other youth and to spread the message and to familiarize themselves with diabetes and diabetes prevention and resources that can help engage community members is really brave of them. And it's really courageous that they're willing to go into their communities and stand up for what they believe in and stand up for these changes that they want to see applied on the policy level and become these advocates for people that maybe don't have the resources, the time, the information to be advocates for themselves. I think that they are, they're really, they're really standing up for a large group of the population that has been discriminated against and that has been unfairly disadvantaged based on nothing, based on their income level, based on often their race, where they live, geography, where they go to school. And I think that it takes it takes a really brave individual to seek out that change and to be willing to work for it. I'm really looking forward to seeing how the youth mentors that we've been working with go into schools now and really spread that message to other students and people that are really gonna relate to them, who are from their same neighborhood or they're gonna identify with. And to see those relationships build and to see these, to see this knowledge shared and how it's cultivated amongst these groups of youth, I think is gonna be a really, really exciting, groundbreaking experience. Absolutely. I don't know what to say other than to say thanks <laughs> for the great conversation. I mean, we traveled a lot of ground and if our listeners wanted to learn more about the Youth Speaks Project or the work being done at the Center for Vulnerable Populations, where should they go? Um, they should check out Youth Speaks and their Brave New Voices website. And soon there will be a dedicated Bigger Picture Campaign website that they can check out. And we would also love to encourage any listeners to get involved in the project. If they want more information, they can contact me directly. They can contact, they can check out the CVP website, the Center for Vulnerable Populations website. Um, there are tons of resources, and I just really encourage any listeners to get involved in what they're passionate about, and they will be, it'll make them happier for it. We'll end in a minute. I just remember there was a question that I wanted to ask mm -hmm. you, 
And I think what I'm really curious is maybe imagine yourself in conversation with a professional, mm-hmm. whether it's in public health or healthcare, and they're really just beginning their journey. And thinking about where you've been, where you are now, any words of wisdom to share that you'd offer them for that place where they're at and moving forward? I would probably just tell them that it takes time and patience to really define what field you want to pursue and in what arena. I mean, there's so many different specializations out there, and I think we're fortunate enough to live in a country where there are so many different professional opportunities and so many options. And I think it's important to just take a deep breath take a step back and try not to be overwhelmed by it and really pick and choose. I mean, it's okay to quit a job if you're unhappy. It's okay to seek out a different kind of opportunity even if the pay is less. I think it's really important to think about when you get up in the morning and you have to spend eight or nine hours or 10 hours a day doing something, what do you want your day to look like? What do you want your work to look like? It shouldn't matter as much about the prestige of the profession or your title or how much you're getting paid, but are you enjoying what you do? Can you actually say that going to work fulfills you and satisfies you and makes you happy? And I think that those are just little signs to to kind of check in with oneself about and really think about. And another level, I mean, just kind of a practical piece of advice is I would really recommend reaching out to individuals that are in similar fields that you're interested in pursuing. You don't have to start a job in that field to actually experience it. You can probably work, most people are all all the more willing to help and, and to let you shadow them or to have a, you know, an informational conversation with them about your interests and about what kind of opportunities there are and, and what their day-to-day looks like. Because something on paper might sound like a fantastic idea, whereas in practice it might not be a good fit for you. And also vice versa. Something you might see on paper and it might not spark an interest in you and then you might actually do the work and love it. So I would just say keep an open mind and really reach out to professionals in similar fields to get as much information and experience as you can to really test everything out. Thank you, Sarah. Once again, we are on location here at San Francisco General Hospital at the Center for Vulnerable Populations at UC San Francisco. And it's been a real pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. Thank you for joining (laughs) us. And that's all we have for today.